You're listening to Jesus is Everything, the teaching ministry of The Way, Eugene. I want to give you also just a couple other scriptural references that have played a big part in me understanding how it is that we come to the Word of God. How is it do I approach, how is it that I approach reading Scripture and being able to grow and to learn in it. I know there's good stuff in here. I know the Bible's important. I know that I was taught, hey, read your Bible and pray every single day. I I know that that that's there in my brain. It's in my head. It's in my heart even. I know I should do it. The truth is, is that a lot of times I show up and I read the word and I go, I don't understand anything that I read. I don't necessarily feel anything. I don't feel like I got a whole lot emotionally out of it, other than to say I checked it off my list and I know it was a good thing. But let me, let me just point out a couple of scriptures for us this morning, possibly take note of these things and let them sink in in terms of how it is that we approach reading the scripture. John 6, 63, Jesus says this to his disciples, John 6, 63, he says, the spirit gives life. The flesh is no help at all. Jesus says, the spirit gives life. The flesh is no help at all. John 6, 63. And then Jesus, in in the vision that was given to the apostle John, which was recorded in the book of Revelation, the revelation of Jesus Christ, Revelation 2, 29. I want you to hear what Jesus says this. It says here to John, and, and he's specifically speaking to the churches of Asia Minor through John. Revelation 2.29, again, Jesus speaking, he says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Jesus speaking to the church, to his people who gather together in his name. Jesus says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So Jesus has said that the spirit gives life. The flesh is no help at all. He who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the church. And then let me read to you from Ezekiel chapter two. Ezekiel chapter two, verses one and two. God speaks and he calls the prophet Ezekiel to to work on his behalf. He says, I'm gonna speak to my people. You're gonna pronounce judgments and blessings and curses and all these things on my behalf, God says, to the nation of Israel and the surrounding nations. And this is how God called his prophets. And here's what he says to Ezekiel. In Ezekiel chapter two, verses one and two. And he said to me, son of man, stand on your feet and I will speak with you. And as he spoke to me, the spirit entered into me and set me on my feet. And I heard him speaking to me. Again, this is Ezekiel being called of the Lord. And he said to me, son of man, stand on your feet and I will speak with you. And he spoke to me. The spirit entered into me and set me on my feet and I heard him speaking to me. Jesus is really clear about the fact that our flesh, that includes things like our hearts and our minds. When we put those things to work for us in and of themselves, understanding godly things, understanding spiritual things, our flesh is no help at all. We simply get in the way. 
The Spirit is the one who gives life to us. And Jesus says to the church, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. And then Ezekiel, one of the great prophets of God, God calls him to speak on his behalf. He says, stand up and I'm going to speak to you. But yet the next verse says that when he started to listen, it was actually the Spirit that entered into him and stood him up and then spoke to him. You and I, when we come to seek the Lord, when we come to read the Bible, whether it's in our morning devotional time that we spend reading through a Bible reading plan, or if there's some question that we have about how we as Christians are supposed to uh, live in this world, all those things, and we want to go to the scripture to learn that truth, when we approach it purely from the human perspective of, I want to know some stuff, very, very rarely are we moved or transformed by what God's word says apart from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit dwelling within us, working in and through us so that when we hear the word of God, it takes root. It, it, it stands us up spiritually. It gives us life. And so I, I say that to say this. In the Old Testament, when, the, when Ezra was gonna read the book of the law and, and all of Israel were gathered together, families, parents, children, everybody was there. They stood for six hours as Ezra read from the book of the law. Buckle up. <laughs> what if I just sit here and just, I just went, all right, guys, six hours, we can get through quite a bit. I might have to take a couple sips of water, but I, I got some endurance here. We can go. Six hours they would stand. And then all the, the priests would go within the people after the six hours of reading of the law and they would help everybody get the understanding of the text. Here's the truth spiritually for us, that when we come together, whether it's an hour or six hours or 15 minutes, when we read the word of God, when we come to approach the scripture, it's the Holy Spirit that stands us up, that dwells in us and gives us understanding of the things of God. And so my prayer this morning for us is that we, each one, would believe upon Jesus in this moment. Perhaps it's, it's we've been saved our whole life, but we believe in Jesus right now, and that by that belief, we know that the Holy Spirit is in us, dwells with us, so that we can understand what God is speaking to us through the scriptures. And if someone here hasn't believed upon Jesus yet, I would pray that right now, you believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, that he was buried, and that he rose from the grave, and that if you believe that now, you will be filled with the Holy Spirit and able to comprehend and understand what it is that we're reading here in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. So let's take a look at it. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, look at verse 24 with me. Paul, as we learned last week, is saying that he is free from all. He is not bound either by sin because of his previous life prior to meeting Jesus, he is also not bound by any religious devotion of any kind. He is free to conduct his life under the instruction of Jesus and the convictions of the Holy Spirit. He has freedom in all things. And yet we also learn on Wednesday that Paul says, I'm willing to give up any amount of freedom. I'm willing to be a servant to all that I might win some. Therefore, Paul says, there is wisdom in being cautious about the liberties that I have, the freedoms that I have in Christ. 
There is wisdom in being cautious about how and where and when I exercise those liberties so that I don't trip someone up, so that I am always an encouragement to someone in their faith. That's what Paul has said up to this point. And so Paul says, I do all things so that I might win some to Christ. And and after discussing the freedom that we have in Christ, but the choice that we make to serve for the purpose of salvation, Paul now makes, beginning in verse 24, an argument from a very human, very relatable perspective. Let's read what verse 24 says. 1 Corinthians 9, 24. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Paul uses some very human, some very relatable language to emphasize and to illustrate this point of serving all manner of people, whether they be religious, unreligious, whether they're weak. We serve for the purpose of salvation. This is what Paul says is the calling upon his life, whether he gets paid for it, which he deserves to get paid for it biblically, or he chooses to forego that right and says, I refuse to get paid for preaching the gospel because it is bound to my life. I have to preach the gospel. He says, because that is true, this is how I do it. This is how I condition myself. This is how I act. And, And the idea here is that Paul desires to be successful in the ministry. Now, we have to sort of parse those terms a little bit and make sure we understand what success looks like in a godly sense versus a worldly sense. Paul begins this in verse 24 saying, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? Paul is not saying that the Christian faith is a competition between Christians. He's not saying that, hey, all you people who believe upon Jesus, y'all better act really, really good because only one of you is getting in. Like that's not the idea here. The race is against ourself. That's the idea here, that we're competing against ourself, that that in this race, we are doing our best to put the best effort forward that we can. And the idea of success, in, in, in addition to that competition, the success is, again, not for worldly gain. Look at what he says. Every athlete exercises control in all things, in verse 25, They do it to receive a perishable wreath, something of this world, something gold, silver, a medal, a wreath on their head like the Olympics, that kind of thing. Paul says, that's not what we're running for. That's not what our race is for, is something perishable, but rather an imperishable crown or an imperishable wreath. He goes, success to us is not something that we receive here on earth. It's not financial. It's not money. It's not a title or a position. It's not something tangible like gold and silver, a medal or or a crown, jewelry. 
He goes, that's not what we're running for. The crown that we receive is imperishable, meaning it's spiritual in nature. It's the crown of life that we receive from the Lord. When we believe upon Jesus and then we enter into eternity, we receive this crown, this anointing for eternity that says this person has run their race well. The success that we are looking for as followers of Christ is to hear Jesus say, well done good and faithful servant. That's it. I have a hard time, when I, when I pray through that scripture, I have a hard time maintaining my composure. And it's even difficult for me to say now, to, to hear the Lord say, well done, good and faithful servant. Stop and consider that for a moment. Have we really done well as Jesus' servants? Have I really been faithful to, to Jesus? My goodness, if I stop and consider the truth of the answer, the answer is no, by no means. And yet Paul says, this is what we want to endeavor. This is what we want to move toward is this obedience and faithfulness to Jesus. And so to be successful in anything, whether it be an athletic event, and we'll talk more about that in a second, or, or the spiritual work of winning people to the Lord, it requires several things. And here Paul says, says them both. In verse 25, he says, every athlete exercises self-control in all things. To be successful in anything, you need to exhibit self-control. Now, we just talked about the Spirit, how we understand the Word of the Lord, how God speaks to us. It's through the Spirit. Well, here's the beautiful thing. In Galatians 5, Paul teaches that church that, hey, when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit takes up residence in you, here's what's going to come out of you. It, he calls it fruit. The fruit of the Spirit are a whole list of things. Love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness. And the last thing he says is self-control. You think, I've tried time and time again to uh, endeavor to run a marathon or lose weight or learn a language, or learn how to play the guitar, or whatever, right? And, and you, you hit a wall at a certain point, and you just go, ah, I'll just let it slide for today, right? Or, or, or you practice it with a bad habit, you don't get good at what you wanted to do, or you're not successful, and, and it's like, I was just missing self-control. I couldn't stop myself, right? I, I was on a diet, and I was monitoring what kind of food I was eating, all those kinds of things, and then I just had a day. <laughs> I had a day and I let it go and the self-control was gone and it just ruined everything for me, right? Well, here's the cool thing about endeavoring spiritual things. That self-control that we need to fight temptation, to, to continue to kill sin in our life, the self-control doesn't come from us. It comes from the Holy Spirit. Self-control comes from the Holy Spirit. It's one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit. And that's what Paul says. He says, every athlete exercises self-control in all things. For us, following Jesus, serving people that they might know the Lord, the self-control that is required of us in those things, it's not our own. It's of, the whole, it's of the Holy Spirit. Be encouraged in that. The Holy Spirit is working that in us. The second thing that is required for the purpose of success in what we're called to do is discipline. That's why Paul says in verse 27, but I discipline my body and keep it under control lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Discipline is a personal decision. 
discipline is for the purpose of avoiding negative consequences. Discipline from the perspective of parenting to a child, whether there be some sort of, of physical discipline or verbal discipline, it's so that that child learns to avoid the negative consequences of their actions, right? And, and so the same is true for us. The decision to be disciplined in seeking after the Lord, in running the race of not just our faith, but in serving people is a personal decision that we might avoid the negative consequences of not being disciplined. Oftentimes, as, as believers in Jesus, we see those who seem to have great faith and, and seem to, that the Lord just constantly uses to share the gospel and salvation is coming through those people's ministries. And we look at ourselves and go, well, how come I'm not being used that way? Well, let me point to these two things. Self-control, giving in to the Holy Spirit, Submitting yourself to the, to the Holy Spirit and his conviction that when we're faced with temptation, we simply go, Holy Spirit, work through me. Give me self-control in this moment, not to give in to temptation. I would challenge you with that. And secondly, I would challenge us all with that idea of personal discipline. Do we not see the Lord working through us in, in, in the, the gospel way that Paul's talking about, serving others for the purpose of salvation? Do we not see that happening in our life? We might look at ourselves then and go, am I being disciplined in the things that I know are right to do? Now, here's the thing. You can take things like self-control and discipline, and you can create out of those ideas something very religious, something very legalistic that says, well, give me the list, pastor. Tell me how many verses I'm supposed to read a day. Tell me how many chapters. Tell me how many prayers I'm supposed to pray, etc. All those things, and I'll check them off the list. And if you're telling me that's what discipline is, I'll do that. Listen, it, it, here's the thing. In our pursuit of discipline and self-control, the reality is, is we're going to fall, we're going to fail. You're going to hear that all the time from us. That God's grace is sufficient for all of our needs. We, we want to be disciplined. We want to be self-controlled. But we're going to fall and we're going to fail. And so grace is true. It is upon our lives that when we fail... We have an advocate, the Lord Jesus, who stands before the Lord and pleads our case and says, don't look at Lucian's failures. He tried his best. It was pretty lame. It wasn't the best presentation of the gospel. It wasn't the best sermon preached. But, but Jesus says on my behalf, Lord, I, I, I went to the cross for that. And my blood washed that sin away, that failure. It, it's gone. And Jesus says, Father, just look at me. So grace, yes, but in our pursuit of being excellent, of succeeding for the Lord, is there also upon our lives a call for obedience? Yes. For faithfulness? Yes. And for us to maintain truth in our life? Yes. Sometimes when we are pursuing the Lord, we feel as though we are in an ongoing wrestling match, a battle of some kind, with something that is just withholding us from somehow breaking through into the big things that we read about in Scripture of the people who follow after the Lord. We go, why is my life not like what the Bible says? How come it doesn't look like this more? That great preacher, Charles Spurgeon, says this, as long as you and your sins are one, God will always 
be at war with you. Why do we need grace? Because sin is ever present. Sin is always dogging us. Sin is always tempting us. It's always there at the door like God told Cain in in the beginning of, of the Bible in Genesis. Sin is always there looking to trip us up. But as long as we're we're one with our sins, God's always going to be wrestling with us. He's always going to be at war with us. Why? Because he doesn't want us to sin. That's what Jesus died for, was to free us from those sins. That's why Paul can say, I'm free from all, but I choose to serve. Now, this idea of discipline, that's what I want to focus on in the last couple minutes here. That idea of discipline Paul takes very, very seriously here, and I believe it's because of something that the author of Hebrews says. Mark down Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26. Some believe that Paul wrote Hebrews, although there's not any indication of who the author is, but a lot of scholars look at Hebrews and go, that sounds like stuff Paul would say, and he would be talking to people that he was familiar with, Jews, so forth and so on, all that kind of stuff. But here's what the author of Hebrews says in Hebrews 10, verse 26. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there, are, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Now, this is a scary verse because each one of us, after we have believed upon Jesus for salvation, we know that each one of us, when confronted with temptation, at some point have simply just gone, yes. Whatever the temptation is, I'm just going to do it. I, I get it. Jesus is real. Thank goodness for his grace. I want to do this sin right now. If that's true, then, then this is an incredibly scary verse. It says, if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. Now, there's a much deeper study here, but does this mean that if we sin after we've been saved, that there's no more sacrifice for our sins? No. Again, the language, just in the same way that we studied about sexual immorality. It's the idea of constant, consistent, deliberate is the word that's used, sinning. To say, I believed upon Jesus, but the whole thing about avoiding temptation and avoiding sin, I'm going to deliberately go do it. I'm going to make up my mind consistently to go living a sinful life. That's where you stop and go, the sacrifice of Jesus wasn't for that so that we could continue sinning. The sacrifice of Jesus is so that we could be what Paul said, free. We're free from all. We're free from any religious uh, requirement on our salvation, but we're also free from sin. That's the idea. But Paul took this idea so seriously that he said, man, that's why I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Paul was worried about being a hypocrite. He didn't want to say one thing and do another. He wanted to proclaim the truth of who Jesus was and then make sure that his life matched up with what he was preaching. Paul took it incredibly serious, this call to be successful in winning some to the Lord. Hebrews chapter 12, if you turn the page, again, in speaking about discipline, Hebrews chapter 12, beginning in verse 7, says this. Pardon me, we're going to go up and actually start at verse 3. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 3. The author of Hebrews says, Consider him, speaking of Jesus, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, 
so that you may not grow weary, pardon me, or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. The author of Hebrews says, listen, in yours and my pursuit of righteousness and holiness and resisting against the temptation to sin, how are we supposed to do that? He says, consider Jesus who endured from sinners such hostility against himself. Stop and think when our life is hard, when the battle is hard, when it's hard to discipline ourselves or be self-controlled, what's the thing that we're supposed to think about to help us avoid falling into those temptations? It's to simply think about Jesus. I say all the time, Jesus is everything. Do you realize how true that is, that there's not a single breath of our life that is possible apart from the grace of God through Jesus Christ our Lord? There's not a single thing we do that is separated from who Jesus is and what he has done for us. So if we're looking to fight temptation, if we're looking to fight sin in our life, if we're looking to be successful in serving people, it's quite simply by keeping our mind focused on who Jesus is. The author of Hebrews goes on and says this in verse 7, it is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Anybody who's preaching a gospel that says your life's going to be easy, that's not a true son of God because you and I are not yet perfected. And so God is going to deal with us in a way that is going to get rid of the shortcomings that we have, the faults and the failings that we have. We are going to be disciplined because we are sons and daughters of God, the most loving and kind and gracious father imaginable. We're going to be disciplined. The author of Hebrews goes on and says this, besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. Mark verse 11. This is powerful. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. When we are confronted and convicted of our sin, it's not comfortable. It's not easy. It doesn't feel good. In fact, sometimes the circumstances in which our sin is revealed to us is incredibly painful. The things that God allows us to go through or that he actually ordains for our lives to draw us closer to him, they can feel brutal. They can feel tragic even. But the Apostle Paul, remember what he said in Romans chapter 8, considering his own life. Romans 8, 18, Paul says that the, the, I don't compare the sufferings of this present time worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed. Paul says all the bad things that I've endured here in this life, they're nothing in comparison to what's coming 
in regard to the glory of God. And so the truth is this, confession and repentance is not easy. It, it hurts sometimes. Being honest, getting honest with ourselves, being honest with the Lord, and then being honest with our brothers and sisters in Christ is not easy. It's not always fun. Integrity is not easily won. Integrity is being the same person regardless of who you're around, whether it's just you and the Lord, you and your family, you in public, being the same person, acting on the same convictions. That's the idea of a person of integrity. Integrity is not easily won. This is why I believe Paul uses the imagery of athletic training. It's why he says, I don't just box as one who's beating the air. He says, I'm getting physical with this stuff. I'm actually going to train my body. I'm going to use self-control and I'm going to discipline myself in a way that I make sure that I'm living in the way that I'm preaching. And here's the things that we know about athletic training. Paul uses that imagery because it's very relatable to us. There's a whole lot that you could teach about athletic training in terms of how to be successful, but there's three things I want to just point out to you this morning that are applicable for us that we take from the world of athletic training and we use it in our spiritual training, our spiritual growth. The first is this, repetition. To get good at shooting free throws, you shoot thousands and thousands and thousands of free throws. You get somebody to pass the ball to you and you shoot again. When your form's off, you get somebody to get back into the position, make sure your elbow's up, follow through, and you shoot free throws again and again and again. Repetition is the key to success. Spiritually, the same thing is true. Do the things that you know are right. That's why my pastor has said, read your Bible and pray every single day. Repetition in our spiritual life is a part of growing toward success. I don't remember the last time I read my Bible. I don't remember the last time I sat down with my wife and asked her what I could pray for her for. I don't remember the last time I texted a friend and went, I'm thinking about you. What can I pray for right now? Listen, doing those things on a regular basis, creating a habit out of those things, repetition is what helps us to be disciplined and to succeed in the life that we're living for Jesus. That's the first thing, repetition. The second is this increased resistance. You start lifting weights, you start feeling pretty good. Okay, got it, I can do the bar. It's up. Now I gotta put the tens on, right? And start working on the, oh wow, 25s and whoa, 45s, and that's 135 pounds and I'm moving and all of a sudden I'm lifting. But here's the thing. Once you start lifting a certain amount of weight, after your body has acclimated to it, your muscles are used to that exercise, you just kind of plateau. For you to keep growing and to get stronger and to be able to expand your physical abilities, you have to increase resistance. You have to add more weight. You have to run a longer distance. You have to uh, play against harder competition to improve and to get better. You have to increase resistance. The same thing is true for us spiritually. We have to learn to resist the temptation to sin. We read it this last week. How do, you, how do you walk away from temptation? How do you fight the evil of Satan in the world? You simply resist. Resist the devil, and, and the Bible says he'll flee from you. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Remember, in your fight against sin, you're not actually fighting Satan. 
You're not fighting the evil spiritual things in the world. Those battles are taking place in high places, the Bible says. The battle over spiritual things, they're happening in, they're happening in, spiritual, in the spiritual realm. The battle that you and I are fighting, remember this, the battle that you and I are fighting has already been won. You've heard it before. We are fighting from a position of victory, not from defeat. Because Jesus has already secured our salvation, you and I are not wrestling and fighting against Satan. Satan was defeated at the cross. Because we're still in the flesh, we still have to fight practical temptations and practical sin. But the truth is that that's not a battle against Satan per se. It's the, it's the battle to be obedient to the Lord. It's the battle to just to, to trust the Lord and look upon Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, to go, oh, I don't have to sin. I don't have to give in to that temptation. That's not a battle I have to fight. It's a battle that's already won. And so when we overcome a sin and a temptation, we go, got it. I'm, I'm locked in on that one. Now give me another one. Increase the resistance. Start battling sin on multiple fronts in your life, whether it's in your mind, in your heart, whether it's your mouth, whether it's what your hand reaches out to that is a response to temptation. Battle those things. Increase the resistance. The third thing this is this, pardon me. The first is repetition. The second is increased resistance. And the third is this, daily monitoring. Daily monitoring. In all the research that says, hey, if you want to lose weight, you get on a meal plan, you get an exercise plan, all those kinds of things. Weigh yourself every single day. That's, that's the theory that they say that works. Weigh yourself every single day. And don't be discouraged by the numbers. Don't, don't, don't worry about that stuff. But weigh yourself as a way to say, am I working towards my goal? Am I doing all of the things? Am I reminding myself to do all the things that help me work toward my goal? When someone is preparing for a competition of some kind, could be football, could be basketball, could be MMA, doesn't matter what it is. What happens in preparation? You watch film on your opponent. You go and watch film of the point guard you're going to be playing against. You go, what are his tendencies? Does he like to go right? Does he like to go left? When I'm watching film on that quarterback, where are his eyes? How does he scan the field for his receivers? What slot am I looking for in the defense uh, to, to take advantage of? We weigh ourselves against those that we're competing against, right? Here's the thing. We need to weigh ourselves from the position of victory that we're already fighting from in our daily monitoring of ourselves, the repetition of the things that are good for us, the increased resistance against the temptations to sin, we weigh ourselves against the champion. In our life, who is the champion? It's Jesus. Weigh yourself against Jesus every single day, not for the point of discouragement to say, there's another day I didn't live up to Jesus but rather to say, that's the goal. That's what I'm shooting for. That's what I'm disciplining myself for, is to look more and more like Jesus. Our daily comparison to Jesus is the thing where we say, listen, he's everything. There's nothing else in the world that I'm looking to to compare myself against. I don't have to compare myself against another Christian. I don't have to compare myself against things in the world, I compare myself against Jesus because he is everything. He's more than politics. 
Jesus is more than economy. Jesus is more than relationships. Jesus is more than pleasure. Jesus truly is everything.